So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Why, why is it always the people in the finance department who are getting targeted by the scammers? I wonder why that might be. Really? Do people ask that? I think... <laughs> really? So it's just one of those great life mysteries, isn't it? You know, why would they aim for such a target? Why? <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 358, Hong Kong Hijinks, Pig Butchers, and Poor Ransomware Gangs, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 358. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, we are joined this week by somebody new, somebody who hasn't been on the podcast before. Great pleasure to invite onto the show Leanne Potter of the Compromising Positions podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's great that you're here. Yeah, now Leanne, Compromising Positions, um, what, what's that about? Yeah, Compromising Positions, protecting your assets big emphasis on the ass of assets and never leaving you exposed. Um, we're a new podcast and our aim is to interview non-cybersecurity people about cybersecurity. So it's kind of part therapy session, part deep dive into how do we do things better. So basically every week I get someone in from a non-cybersecurity background. Every week we have lots of really nice takeaways for people working in cybersecurity to take away and make their security controls actually work, which is what we really want it to happen. <laughs> I think that's a really lofty goal and a good one, I think. <laughs> I can hope so, yeah. It's been really great. I've had some really fantastic people, um, some sort of personal heroes of mine on the show already. So, yeah, it's, it's, the reception has been great. We were big in Denmark for like a week. Don't know how, <laughs> don't know why. Um, but for a week in Denmark, we were charting in the top 20. So. Well, they're wow. people of taste. You know. Tark, Denmark, Tark. <laughs> Let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Collide and Vanta. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be discussing what could be a case of Hong Kong fooey. <laughs> okay, that gives a lot away. What about you, Leanne? I've got a real sob story for you here. Ransomware gangs, unfortunately, they are feeling the pinch just as much as we are. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to be looking for love in all the wrong places. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, I've got a question for you, and it's this. Is this the real life? Oh, is um, this just fantasy? Why are you ruining a classic? <laughs> Caught in a landslide. No, escape from reality. I won't do anymore. Thank um, you. I appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Let, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of Hong Kong, where a multinational firm has, well, one of its many offices all around the world, but they've got, well, they've got a significant presence in Hong Kong, shall we say. And we are told that a massive fraud has recently taken place. According to Hong Kong police, a company has lost 200 million Hong Kong dollars. And for those of you not familiar with the exchange rate, that's about 25 million US dollars or in okay. British pounds. Let me work that out. That's about 900 billion at the moment. Um, so, so, so it's a lot, it's a lot of money. 
after one of its staff fell victim to a scam. Now, this particular employee worked in the finance department at this Hong Kong branch of this big multinational. Okay. And you, you may be thinking, well, you know, people may ask, well, wh- wh- why is it always the people in the finance department who are getting targeted by the scammers? I wonder why that might be. Really? Why Do people what? ask that? I think. <laughs> really? So it's just one of those great life mysteries, isn't it? You know, why yeah. would they aim for such a target? Why? Why, great yeah, why? Why? <laughs> Because that's where all the money is, of course. So that's where the money is. So that's where people are targeting. If they were after data, if they were after information about your personnel, then they might go for the HR department. But if they're just strictly after the money, why not go to the finance department, particularly in these days of business email compromise and CEO scams and those sort of things? It's not that uncommon. So in the middle of last month, in the middle of January, Mm. this person in Hong Kong received a message from what they believed was their UK-based CFO, the chief financial officer, asking them to transfer some money. Now, you know, instantly we have multiple alarm bells going off. Well, I don't know. Uh, No? I don't know. Really? Like if you're used to getting those... Right? Like, if it's a normal mm. occurrence that the guy goes, throw 10K into this account pronto, you know, <laughs> chop, chop. Like, you know, you wouldn't bat an eyelid if he, he made that request. I would like to think in many organizations, there may be more of a procedure rather than just receiving a message from the CFO via something which is potentially insecure, like email. <laughs> there may be a little bit more double checking. Mm. The amount of time it takes to just get any expenses authorized, you know, for like 20 quid or something. <laughs> In an organization, <laughs> let alone like this just happens. This is so unfair. Why, why, why can't I have it this easy? I remember years ago, the company I was working for sent me overseas to uh, do some work for a few weeks at one of our other branches. And so I put my expense claim in for my cat to go into a cattery um, because mm-hmm. I was going, and yeah, it was a nightmare. Couldn't get them to pay for my cat. Was I being unreasonable? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I don't know. It is an expense you have to incur. It's an expense I had to incur. But do people I suppose... do it with their children? If they, you know, do they, <laughs> you know, like if you go away for two weeks, do you? As far as I'm aware, Carol, childcare, you know, isn't that cheaper than doggy daycare is, for example? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just about to put my dog through doggy daycare and I'm thinking about claiming back on expenses through that. So I'm just like... Yeah. Obviously, it wasn't the cheapest cat. You know, it's the jewel encrusted water bottle. It was, you know, I had. Oh, I'm, I had sure, I'm sure your cat loved that. <laughs> would, have, would, have, would, have, would have loved all that. Anyway, so yes, so claiming expenses can be really difficult. It's amazing how companies can just cough up $20 million uh, to move into someone's account. Anyway, so this request came through, claiming to be from the UK based CFO. And I, I think probably at this company, because it's a big multinational, there were rules about this kind of thing. This person was working in finance. They thought, oh, you know, we're. I have to be sure, because this could be a fraudulent email. Okay, smart. Right. Yeah, so they're smart. So they're thinking, I need to double check this. I need to make sure that this instruction is legitimate. Makes sense. Yeah, I like that. So how would you do that? How would you check? Um, I would say, look, I'm just going to give you a bell on your cell phone. We'll have a little chat. Just want to get all the ins and outs, right? You could do that, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's certainly potentially possible if you have their mobile phone. I mean, in this particular case, the email contained a link to a video call service. So maybe they're using Teams, maybe they're using Zoom or whatever, where they could have a chat to describe what was going on. And we have described many times before how it's possible to create fake videos of people saying what someone else wants them to say. So deep fake videos. So you have mm-hmm. to be careful on a video call. But a video call, I would argue is perhaps a little bit more convincing because you're having a conversation with somebody. Yeah, and it gives you more away than just a phone call, right? Because you also have a visual reference. Yes, yep. Mm. And because you're interacting with them and you can ask them questions. You Like if you called me up, Clue, and said, look, yes. I need a thousand pounds, I would like first die. <laughs> what? And then I'd be like, uh, then I might call you up on Zoom and go, what are you talking about? What do you need a thousand pounds for? You would never call me on Zoom. You would never turn <laughs> no, on the video camera. <laughs> i call you on our normal channels. Our normal ch- we wouldn't turn on video, like, would we? No. Would we turn on video? <laughs> I might make you go on video to promise that you pay it back, right, with a pinky swear. But, but there could be someone lurking in the corner of my office with a, a, a gun, with a silencer pointed to my head or something, couldn't they? Why does it have a silencer? <laughs> it's good for me, I suppose. My ears won't, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, that, I say, anyway, so, I mean, yes, okay. yes, that scams occur. But in this particular case, this mm-hmm. person was a little bit suspicious and okay. they, they weren't sure. We've discussed this many times before, possible to create fake videos. Um, you know the TV game show Countdown on Channel 4? Yep. Used to have mm-hmm. Carol Vorderman on it. Now it's Rachel Riley, where they have their little quiz with the numbers. She picks, you know, three big ones and two small ones. And can you make them all count up to 793 or something, right? Mm-hmm. And Rachel Riley is a maths wizard. And five years ago, five years ago, you think deep fake is a new thing. Poppycock, five years ago, HSBC made a video showing how it was possible to make Rachel Riley say that she was bad at maths. And that mm. answers to tricky maths puzzles were being fed into her earpiece. <laughs> I'm bad at maths. <laughs> That's not true. HSBC did that to show just how sophisticated fraudsters can be. I'm bad at replying to people. I'm bad at maths. I get fed the answers in my earpiece. So this isn't new. What did HSBC have to gain from besmirching that poor woman's reputation? <laughs> well, well, HSBC, also known as, by the way, as the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation. We don't know the name of the company mm. which was affected in this case, so make your own guesses. Um, they wanted to warn their staff, and indeed they wanted to warn customers as well, about the dangers of deep-faked video and how this was possible and how you shouldn't necessarily trust someone mm. just because you can see them saying something. Right. But still, right? like, come on. When does it stop? Right? Like, when do you go, oh, okay, you're serious? Would someone have to come on and say, look, I'm really hurt. Look, my leg's pumping out blood, you know, and you'd have to show <laughs> that in order for people to believe you? Like, I don't know. That seems a bit extreme. Oh, well, this right. particular okay. case, in this particular case, so the employee had reason to be suspicious. They thought, hang on a minute, yeah. this isn't my first rodeo. I'm going to join this Zoom call. But what allayed their fear is when they joined the video call, they found it wasn't just with the CFO. It was with multiple other people inside the organisation, other senior members of staff and some outsiders as well. And according to the cops... The company employees on this call looked and sounded like people the targeted employee did recognize inside the organization. So this guy clicks on the Zoom call or whatever, yes. the, the yep. video conferencing thing. And then there's all these people like Brad yep. from accounts and uh, Sheila. And then they're all like, yeah, yeah, no, no, bye, bye, sell, sell. You're wrong. Well, well, I don't know if they're like, they're like <laughs> maybe they're, you're on mute. You're on mute. Can you hear me over there? <laughs> you're having the usual video call problems. But- when when do you ever get the all the execs in one place at the same time anyways? When would you when will that happen? Like well, when you want twenty million, I guess. Well, yeah, maybe when you're moving that much money guess. into an account and saying, look, it's very important, but we've chosen you to do this. I don't think I could just be like, oh, I'll just click on a Zoom link and just say, Hey, just calling the CFO right now. I bet he's not busy. Mm. Oh well, well, I think they sent an invite. They said join right. us at this time. Okay. Because we're going to have a conference call where we can discuss You know, that it. would work for me. That would work for me. Yeah. As we all know, I now know I can fall for these kind of scams. So I oh, imagine yes. if I joined one of these uh, calls with all these people yabbering on, I'd be like, ooh, okay, this is serious. So according to the Hong Kong police, there is a senior superintendent, Baron Chan Shun Ching. He says that in previous cases, the scam victims have been tricked in one-on-one video mm. calls. And this, of course, was a multi-person video call, and everyone that they saw was fake. They said the scammers were able to generate convincing representations Mm -hmm. of targeted Mm -hmm. individuals that looked and sounded like the actual people. It's smart, too, because you're going to ask a lot less questions if there's 15 people on the call than if there was just Mm. one, right? Because you don't want to look like an idiot. And maybe you won't you won't say something like stand on one leg, <laughs> <laughs> recite the alphabet backwards quickly. You know you wouldn't ask any of those test questions. I don't think you've been into any of my meetings, all Graham. <laughs> <laughs> so this employee, over the course of a week, they made fifteen transfers, totaling over two hundred million Hong Kong dollars to five different accounts. What kind of oversights were going on in this company? Yep, exactly. 15 transfers. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess because there was a limit, maybe, as to how much you could move at once. I mean, it, it can happen, can't it? That you, 
probably not to set off alarm bells. But it's like someone chopping off one of your digits, your fingers or your toes. I don't know why I'm so dark today. (laughs) Pick of the week is also very dark. I don't know what's going on in February. But, you know, you would notice. You would just notice. That's a lot of money. Most people would notice. You'd like to think so. Mm. Well, now, this was interesting to me. So the police say that they've carried out an investigation and they have found that the meeting participants had been digitally recreated by the scammers, as I described, using publicly available video and audio footage of those individuals. And they imitated the voice of their targets reading from a script. So it's quite sophisticated, this, what they've done here. And apparently on the call, they asked the victim, you know, when you, you go around, you say, OK, if everyone can introduce themselves. And so they got the victim to introduce themselves but they didn't interact with them at that point. Um, And and the meeting ended rather abruptly after they gave the instructions, but it was enough to dupe them. But here's my actual question. I said, is this Hong Kong fooey? (laughs) How do the police actually know that what they're saying happened, happened? They haven't made any arrests. How do they know that these were deep fakes? How do they know that, for instance, it wasn't? the real CFO and his colleagues telling this employee (laughs) to move the money into these bank accounts. Yeah, where's the money now? Exactly. Was the employee in on it? Or are they just saying they were fooled by deepfakes? Because what a wonderful... It's a bit like saying we were attacked by a state-sponsored hacking group and therefore (laughs) we don't have to admit... super serious. Yes, it was a very, very serious... It's very convenient, isn't it? Oh, well, it was deepfakes. That, that's how I got you. Oh, this is hard, though. I mean, you're doing exactly what we're telling people to do. Trust nothing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but uh, you do sound like a crazy person. Oh, thank you very much. So I'm just asking the questions. No, I'm no, just I, asking the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the police say, if you're not sure if someone is a fake or not on a video record, they, they've come up with some advice. Uh-oh. And their advice, they said, <laughs> is ask the person to bobble their head around a bit. Now I don't think that's I don't think that's going to always work. I think if it's a pre-recorded video maybe it would work, but these days with deep fakes you could have a, an actor actually playing the part and then having a deep fake face munged on top of them to fool you. So they could bobble their head. Yeah, but you still get that weird halo sometimes though, don't you with the deep fakes? That yeah, weird bad connection, bad connection, Leanne. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good advice, you know, do that thing that you did in PE, you know, at the start when you're in primary school and you do the chin roll. So put your head right into your chin, roll around, just get everyone in the meeting to do that. And then you've got a nice workout as that well. That never looks good on a webcam, yeah. I have to say. It depends where your webcam is. I'm sure a few weeks ago we talked about doing jumping jacks, like getting people jumping jacks as soon as they come on or something. So I think the scammers are going to be onto that. <laughs> the deep fake <laughs> craze and the fitness craze could really get together on this. I really do think so. Hong Kong police have also said that you should use their Scameter service. So this is a an online service. I'll put a link in the show notes, cyberdefender.hk it mm. is, where you can enter the details of an account and see if it is connected to past scam activity. They call it the one-stop scam and pitfall search engine. But a little word of warning, because last year, scammers sent messages to people saying, oh, you know, we, we're the police. We've recovered more than $50 million from a past scam. Um, if you want to check whether you're one of the people who are going to get your money back, yes. go to this link. Go to the fake version of the Scameter app, which will steal your money and your personal information as well. The future is bright. Leanne, what's your story for us this week? Oh, get out the tissues. This is a really sad one. The ransomware gangs are really feeling the pinch, just like the rest of us. Turns out that payments have dropped down to a new low of 29%. So less than a third of companies are paying the ransom demands. Correct. Correct. Yeah, so it's, it's reduced. So there's a company called Coveware. And they've been tracking this for some time since 2019. Now, when they first started tracking this trend, it was at 85% were choosing to pay these ransomware gangs. But however, they said like on a recent analysis of the data, uh, in the last quarter of 2023, 29% dropped to a brand new low. So from 85% to 29% in just in the space of a few years. 
which is that's pretty good. And obviously there's lots of moral and ethical questions about whether you should pay or not, which, you know, you've gone through on the show many a time. But what this um, report suggests is the reason why um, these payments are going down is due to awareness, which, you know, pat on the back, everyone, with with the messages getting out there, (laughs) people are listening. And it's awareness in the sense that people are understanding that ransomware or being hit by ransomware is not a question of if, but a question of when. And, Mm. you know, as such, people are starting to take heed to the things we've been saying for ages, which is more robust backups. But isn't it the case that a lot of these ransomware attacks now aren't encrypting your data? So they're just stealing it with the threat of releasing it. So is it that these companies don't care if the data is released because there have been so many data breaches, everyone's had their personal information exposed in the past and what's a little bit more? Yeah, customers won't care that all their data has been stolen. That's the issue, right? Yeah, well, you do see that time and time again, don't you? So when a big company has a breach, there is a drop in their sort of share prices for a little bit. But if you watch the trends of companies that have had a breach, it kind of just goes back to normal quite quickly. And by quite quickly, I mean in the space of sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Or sometimes it even does better because then people think, oh, well, actually, they're reinvesting into security. So, you know, you see the likes of Uber who, you know, have quite a lot of breaches and then lots of job adverts the next day come out for cybersecurity professionals. (laughs) So you can kind of see how that Mm. might be a thing. But this article suggests that Unfortunately, it isn't the security team people are listening to um, about that message of have good backups. It's actually just because mainstream media, which is great, so not your likes of your your cyber publications or your tech publications, you know, the things like your BBC Newses, your Guardians, etc., making cybersecurity issues and ransomware headline news. And in particular, what's really kind of convincing people that they're, you know, less likely to pay is because of the stories where ransomware groups are not returning the data after it's been paid. So they're not keeping up to their end of the bargain. Right. So they're getting the payment and then and then still releasing the data afterwards. So like losing yeah. the trust, breaking that bond of... That seems really bad business sense by well, the ransomware gangs. Shouldn't they provide a higher <laughs> level of customer service than that if they want to carry on having, quote, customers? Well, I've owned my own business in the past. And, you know, when there's a big industry-wide scandal... It just takes a few bad eggs to make your business model look rubbish. So I feel really sorry for these legitimate, quote unquote, uh, ransomware gangs who do have good practices of uh, managing and uh, keeping up to their end of the bargain. And it's just a few of these bad uh, ransomware gangs that are just really letting it down for everyone else. And as a result, there's this big drop in ransomware payments. Do you think we need a, a service like Trustpilot where people can review the quality of the ransomware gang that they've been infected by and whether they did their part of the bargain. And then we'd know. Maybe each ransomware gang could have a, you know, a points out of five, five-star rating or something, say, look, we're really trusted, whereas the bad guys wouldn't be trusted. And so you'd know that you were likely to get your data back or likely to have them destroy it properly. I think that would be a really good idea because there's the, the TripAdvisor effect, isn't there? You know, when there's, there's a new restaurant that's open, it has really good reviews and all the restaurants around it want to kind of compete and up their game. Oh, a bit. So, yeah, that would yes. be, really, be really good for, for ransomware gangs to kind of up their game and, and rebuild the trust back into the community, into businesses that, you know, when they do ransomware, is that we're actually going to get what we paid for back. But I wonder if it is a question of, you know, if they don't get their money, if they're not getting their payoff... Uh, then they're going to go through a type of recession, same as the tech industry is. There'll be layoffs. Yeah. In the ransomware world. Oh, bless them. See, it's what I mean. Absolute sob story. The impacts will be far-reaching. One thing I'd like to think about, though, is will this mean they pivot into something else? Because you know, the, the whole yeah. idea of it is, you know, ransomware is really low-cost, really great return on investment. And... If that's not working, what's the next thing that they're going to turn to that has such a good return on investment? And that's probably where you're going to see, I'm going to say it because it's not been really said yet, AI and things like that. Implementing oh, into, mentioned it. I, I mentioned oh. it. I mentioned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, AI and things like that in, into the kind of mix to kind of make it still, you know, low cost, high gains for them. But what was also interesting about this article was there was a second part of the section which says, the person who's done the study, so uh, Coveware, said, let's enjoy this downturn naturally. Because one of the other conversations people have been having is about banning 
ransomware payments altogether. Now, they say that according to their research, when places like Florida, which I wasn't aware, actually, that Florida has banned ransomware payments, mm. um, they, and they have done so since uh, 2022, They've not seen any noticeable difference in the number of attacks they've got. So that's the number of attacks, not payments. And right. according to this article that they're saying, if we ban it, then it just kind of shows the cyber criminals that we're unable to kind of look after ourselves. Whereas if we keep it as is and people keep practicing this good security hygiene, then slowly it might fizzle out on its own accord anyways. I, I'm, oh God, I'm so cynical today. Oh, yeah, today. I today. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. So how how do Coveware know <laughs> that the number of companies paying the well, ransom has gone down? Coveware are a ransomware yeah. response and negotiation company. Oh, so their business has gone down. Ah, uh. <laughs> oh, oh, right. They're suffering. I see. We're, we're all suffering. <laughs> Uh, Carol, what's your story for us this week? Well, we have a very special day fast approaching us. One that, you know, loving couples, brand new and old alike, like to celebrate. And I'm talking about Valentine's Day. Or is it St. Valentine's Day? What do you say? I just think it's a load of old tosh, isn't it? Are you, I, mean, this... I, u- I usually just say... <laughs> I know we just call it Tuesday or something. I tell me about Okay, so you have no interest in celebrating any love in your life. No, I oh, excuse me. Of course I celebrate love in my <laughs> life. But let's let's say this very quickly in case anyone's listening. Um but um, <laughs> but the whole idea that the, the entire country has to go out to an Italian restaurant and uh, book a t- <laughs> that doesn't seem terribly romantic to me. Much more romantic obviously just to you know, sort of <laughs> slob around on the sofa and uh, put something in the microwave and say, there you go. You see the older man's version of Netflix and chill. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of resent, you resent that people are being forced to do it, basically. No, I, I don't resent other people being forced to do it. I resent me being forced to do it. <laughs> so I don't like that. Right. And Leanne, what about you? I, I agree. I <sighs> My birthday is on Halloween, and I, I resent having to kind of be forced uh-huh. fed into Halloween. So having another day where you have to just surround yourself with hearts and flowers, and, and like you say, Graham, overpriced uh, special Valentine's Day menus. You know, you could be going to your favorite restaurant, but no, they've added a, a surcharge on top of that. And with ransomware payments the way they are these days, I don't know if I can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard though to come up with a way that's not cheesy, but also kind of recognizing if you have someone in your life you want a high five, right? Like in my case, like do I buy the Yeti a razor? Right? Is that a good gift? Like he obviously doesn't have one. Good for you, maybe. <laughs> but maybe good for me, definitely. But yeah, it seems like a holiday for some romantic partners, right? But there's people out there. Some of us are single. And mm-hmm. Valentine's Day may not be the holiday you most look forward to. No. Unless, unless you kind of use it as a springboard to hop back into the dating saddle. So I don't know about you. I have a number of friends right now, extended family, that are suddenly getting back on the dating scene. You know, like, I don't know if it's a New Year's resolution or to avoid a solo Valentine's Day, but people seem to be like refreshing wardrobes, hitting the gym, updating their profile pic. You know, they always like are catching a big fish or climbing a steep mountain, right. shuffling along a beautiful beach. The stuff we couples do all the time. Let me just assure you. All the time. All the time. Yep. <laughs> all the time. Speaking of big fish, <laughs> can I just put a, a shout out out there to um, gentlemen who are putting on their dating profiles? Please don't put the big fish photo on there. You're holding a big fish. They do. <laughs> they do, don't they? they- <laughs> It's like, look at this huge fish I've caught. Yeah, even from a security point of view, it's not a good idea catching a big fish, <laughs> is it? Like, it's never someone sitting on a sofa eating, you know, a family-sized bag of Cheetos or whatever. <laughs> but, but the first port of call these days is you go online. Like, you don't tend to go down to your local super drug, see someone cute in an approach, because it could be pretty dangerous, depending on what they're trying to buy. I don't know if a conversation opener of, hi, you itchy, <laughs> is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Works wow. me every time. <laughs> Works me every time. And then you you dive into this online dating pool and try to find someone who's a good fit for you. 
like, I don't know, what would you be looking for? You'd probably, Graham, you'd be looking for someone who looks like a dead actress from the 50s, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yes, that's right, yes. No, circa 1968. <laughs> I'd be going for a Danny DeVito clone, you know. That's pretty much what you've got, isn't it, at the moment? <laughs> your, your guy, he's quite short. But, you know, whatever your pleasure. And the aim is, of the game is to find love. And if you start now, if you start now, maybe in a week's time, when Valentine's Day is upon us, you might already be starting to feel that warm sparkle feeling, you know, of a budding relationship. Mm. Well, I'm here to say stop right there, people. Oh, whoa, okay. Because according to Lloyd's Bank this past weekend, romance scams have increased more than 20% in 2023 compared to 2022. Oh. And I have a few questions for you just for fun. So what age group do you think reporting losing the most money? So averaging 13,000 on average in this age group, almost doubling the average across all romance scam reports in the UK. Is it 54-year-old male podcast hosts? (laughs) No, it's not. No. Okay. Thank God. All right. (laughs) Do you want to guess, Leanne? I want to say probably millennials and the reason why just because we've we've Mm. grown up with the likes of dirty dancing and stuff like that we're looking for love we're looking for that dance partner to really take us onto that nostalgia train oh and i suppose they're all on the tiktoks and things as well aren't they so they might get what what it's called a thirst something isn't it what's it called oh you know it's a a thirst trap no is that not what's happening it's older people it's 65 to 74 they're the most trusting coffin dodgers (laughs) which group do you think were most likely to report falling for a romance scam not the oldies i'm guessing uh young not the oldies young people that was much closer to your original one 55 it's 55 to 64 Mm. So it's more people over middle age that are falling for these things. And in Canada, things are much, much worse. According to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, romance scams cost 945 victims more than 50 million, an average of 53,000 per victim. Like, we're way too trusting, Canadians. Like, way too trusting. (laughs) It's extraordinary, isn't it? That's a huge amount. I've actually received an email today from someone who says that their friend has been exchanging messages from Mark Ruffalo. You know, the Hollywood actor, Mark Ruffalo? Yes. Who's like the Hulk or something? He would be on my list for sure. <laughs> and this person says she's never spoken to him. They've they've never seen pictures of each other. It's purely been text. And her friend is completely hook-lined and sinkered and ready to give them a fortune. Completely convinced. And she's saying, what can I do about this? Yeah. It's horrendous. And you can imagine people giving a huge amount of money because they think, yeah. oh, but it's going to be love. Yeah, they often use fake photos. They often refuse to meet up. Yes. And common excuses may involve working away in the armed forces or international aid or charity work. Or in Mark Ruffalo's case, he's just got very, very angry and is now 14 foot tall and ripped with green muscles. Yeah, and his muscles are so big, he can't actually reach the keyboard very well. He hasn't got a a reliable pair of trousers. He can't go out (laughs) like that on a date. He's got plenty of excuses. The scary thing, though, is the scams can last a seriously long period of time. And that's what allows the fraudster to build trust with the victim. So in your case, right, this may be go- have gone on for months. And it might carry on until he asks for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually the claims are family issues, medical bills, needing money to arrange to meet up because their money's all tied up. And like what douchebag wouldn't help out a brand new potential partner? Yeah. Especially when you've been talking to daily for months and want to meet. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard this term pig butchering? Oh, yeah, yeah. In contact with romance scams? Yeah, I didn't, hadn't heard it. It shows you how much security. No, I've not heard it. Oh, I thought we'd done it on the show before, pig butchering. Oh, maybe. I just mean we would stop listening. Didn't listen. <laughs> Don't listen to that podcast. I was just going, interesting. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure it was one of your stories, actually. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hang on, I'll have, I'll have a quick search through the uh, past episode. Oh no, episodes. don't say that, don't say that. Oh no, we, we figured out that she's the deep fake. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so pig butchering, so it means basically priming the victim in preparation for financial slaughter. So like fattening the pig, it's so right. disgusting. Very evocative. 
Yeah, but it's so gross because people are doing what people do, looking for someone to connect with, mm. right? And they do it online now because that's where everyone spends their time. And scammers take advantage of this. And perhaps, I don't know, do we need to lean on dating sites to do more? Is that the problem here that we can't trust them? I and mean, if they're using images that are already taken from somewhere else on the web, she uses their dating pictures. Well, or, or they're generating them with, dare I mention, the letters AI again. <laughs> In which case, they may not be anywhere else on the web already. And and this and the scam is really occurring when people begin chatting, though, isn't it? It's not necessarily even on the dating site. The dating site is the initial hook. Yeah. But then they're chatting to you on WhatsApp or whatever it is. And, you know, it, it may be months and months down the line before they say, oh, I've got this great investment in cryptocurrency. You should really do it, too, because I love you so much. Why don't you put yeah. some of your money in? I'll do it for you if you like. If you don't know how to do it, just wire me this money. Bam. Yeah. And one of the things as well, I was reading, and I have a link in the show notes from a CBC article where someone was trying to uh, catfish this woman and then eventually explained why he did what he did and how he did it. But one of the things he mentioned is like, I create a new profile on Instagram. I go out and try and lure in as many women as I can that fit the profile mm. that I'm trying to get. And then I need to get them off Instagram as soon as possible, because if someone finds out and reports it, the account gets taken down. Mm. And then I've lost contact with all the other people I've worked on. You really want to establish a second means of communication quickly, which could be a warning, you know, if you're talking to someone. But it's kind of scary. So uh, during this romantic time, keep your wits about you. If you meet someone new, uh, don't not tell your friends and family. So at least in your case, what you were reporting earlier, Graham, they've told a friend and family, but they're not listening to the friend and family saying, take heed. No, they're not listening to them. Yeah, take heed. That's the hard part, isn't it, is, is when they don't listen because the reason why they're so good at what they do is because they really make you believe that you are the one and they are the one. And it's really hard to kind of convince people otherwise because yeah. when they say, you know, um, you make first impressions, you know, within the first mi microseconds of meeting someone, it's really hard actually then to go back on that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's why I come they're so successful. It's just it's so sad when even when you actually see the signs, you just cannot convince the other person that it's not true. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, my best advice is literally uh, rather than, you know, attack someone in super drug, wait for them outside, right? A comfortable distance away and then say something romantic. Like when they walk out, say something like, hey, did you get what you came for? And like wink or something at work, right? So what? <laughs> Sorry, you were going to mug me. It sounds like you're going to mug me. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I think you've been out of the game for a bit too long, Carol. <laughs> yeah. She found her guy at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by Collide. Wouldn't it be great if a device which lacked compliance or lacked security was denied access to your organization's SaaS apps and other resources? Because this would mean that the hackers who had nabbed the unlucky employee's credentials, for example, could not gain access to your assets. It would effectively lock them out. Welcome to Collide, a world where access is only given to approved, secure devices. As the administrator, you can manage every operating system, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Another bonus of Collide, employees can often fix their own problems without involving IT support, meaning less resources are needed to effectively operate a more secure environment. Collide is the device trust solution for companies with Okta. Collide ensures that if a device is not trusted or it's insecure, it is denied access to your cloud apps. Learn more at collide.com slash smashing. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And huge thank you to Collide for sponsoring the show. Shortcut compliance without shortchanging security. That's what Vanta can bring your company. Expanding the scope of your security program with Vanta's market-leading compliance automation. Saving your business time and money. Vanta has over 5,000 customers around the globe who are saving over 300 hours in manual work and up to 85% of their costs for SOC 2, 
ISO 27001, HIPAA, GDPR, custom frameworks and more. And with Vanta's 200 plus integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. From the most in-demand frameworks to third-party risk management and security questionnaires, Vanta gives SaaS businesses of all sizes one place to manage risk and prove security in real time. And as a special bonus, Smashing Security listeners can get a stonking 20% off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com slash smashing to claim your discount. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash smashing and thanks to vanta for supporting the show and welcome back and you join us at our favorite part of the show the part of the show that we like to call pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week pick of the week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like could be a funny story a book that they've read a tv show a movie a record a podcast a website or an app whatever they like. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my pick of the week this week is not security related. I am trying to stop my brain turning into mush. Started a bit late. (laughs) Well, yes, possibly, possibly. But I realised I need to do more than just play chess badly. So I've also been playing a little bit of Sudoku, which I'm sure you guys have all played in your time. But, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was doing a bit of Sudoku and I thought I'm not entirely happy with this app. So I went, I went into the app store and I was looking at the Sudoku apps and I was trying them out. And they've got bad user interfaces or they've got intrusive ads or they're really unforgiving because if my fat fingers happen to press the wrong button or the wrong square. It goes, oh, no, you've made a mistake. Oh, if you make another mistake, you're going to, you know, forfeit the game. It's like, no, I do know. I I know what I was trying to do. I just pressed the wrong button. Don't be so mean, I'm thinking. Are are you not worried about your stress levels and your heart? (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to your brain mushingness? A little bit. And And also, you know, we were all worried when King Charles had ready sausage fingers. Is everything okay? (laughs) I think I don't. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I could get check, go get checked out. Go get go checked to that. Out my sausage. Be careful fingers. about going to super drug though. Someone might come yeah, on to but- you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought there must be something which doesn't have a bad user interface, doesn't have intrusive adverts, can handle your sausage fingers, and it can do yeah. <laughs> sausage finger compliant. And I found it a SudokuExchange.com, which is a lovely. Beautifully designed little website with lot of, lots of Sudoku exercises. It suits all of my requirements. I'm very happy. Using, I'm not very good at Sudoku. I've got to get up to speed. Uh, my partner, much faster at it than me. But I like this little website, so that's what I'm using. So my pick of the week is SudokuExchange.com. Mm, very good. You, you, you could have got the same from a Sudoku book as well. Yeah, right. Schmucks. <laughs> I have something for you, Graham. What you could do Go this ahead. is what my uh, my parents-in-law do every morning when they wake up. They both have the same like a, two copies of a Sudoku yeah. book, and they race each oh other. Oh my goodness! Oh my! They goodness. go, okay, we're doing number fifty-nine. Go, and that's uh, that's what they do before. <laughs> like you said fifty-nine. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Back to the drugstore. Uh, <laughs> Leanne, what's your pick of the week? Moving on quickly. So my pick of the week this week is for people to get used to being a bit more comfortable with the unknown and to inject a bit of spontaneity into their lives. So, yeah, Carol, Graham, picture Mm -hmm. this, right? You're both on stage and the crowds look at you and the host of the event says, now, how do these two people know each other? So you and Graham. Mm -hmm. And the voices in the audience all call out, but one's louder than the rest and they say co-workers. Great. Mm -hmm. So the host nods and then asks another question. So where do they work? And then you hear a choral sound, and the sound is, in an abattoir, they demand. (laughs) (laughs) And then the the host then turns to you and says, right, you're both co-workers who work in an abattoir. Begin your scene in the style of a 1950s musical. How would you both feel about that situation? (laughs) I'm not super familiar with 1950s musicals, so I would feel out of my depth a bit Mm -hmm. on that. But I do love a bit of improv. That's exactly what it is. So for the past two <laughs> years, I've been spending my time getting used to situations like that, not working in an abattoir, which is 
the most requested place of work really? in the scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not in real life, Abattoir. I think. Only in improv situations. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> just, just in improv. And um, along with the word prolapse. Let's not go into that. But I've been performing as part of an improv group and I couldn't have done it without my pick of the week, which is the Laugh at Leeds Stand-Up and Improv Comedy School. And I've always been a fan of shows like Whose Lines Anyway since I was a kid. And I was always yeah. in awe of their ability to kind of think on their feet, you know, and I guess even more so totally unfazed when a joke bombs or doesn't land i don't know if you've watched any that show like recently like revisited or anything yeah. like that whose lines yeah ever. i have yeah they they are really good at like even when it doesn't land they take yep. it so easily and i think that's such a great skill to learn so for like a decade i've been keep saying to myself right i'm going to do a course on improv one day i've been putting it off putting it off until i actually met someone in real life who was who's done the course several times and said how amazing it was so i went along and did it and i've had the bug ever since and the way it works is that they run courses really regularly in six weeks blocks so you start off absolutely terrified i'll be honest with you and then by mm. the end of the six weeks you're actually performing on stage in front of people doing improv wow. stand-up it's it's really great and it's amazing to see like your peers uh people you're on the course with go from really nervous just as nervous as you are um and, and to be this really confident um funny individuals and it's got to the point now where i actually regularly perform as part of uh, my own improv troupe role with it so i've, I've learned some cool. real amazing practical skills mm. it's really helped with my public speaking how i approach work you know how to be cool with you know, coming off script, you know, injecting a bit of humour into proceedings and things like that. So, ah, we've been breached, huh? Let's have a joke. <laughs> and I bet it helps a lot with podcast life too, right? Because I, yeah. during interviews and when you're chatting with people, you can just like listen and then think at the same time. I think that's almost the skill. It's like you need to take in and also come up with something. <laughs> yeah. So the first few weeks, it, it, you just get trained on two principles. So one is listening. Mm. And then the other one is a principle called yes and. Now, yes and means that you embrace the scene. So you mm -hmm. take in whatever suggestions, so abattoir, for example, and 1950s musical. It wouldn't matter if you didn't know anything about a 1950s musical. Um, you just have to roll with it. And it's just um, just a really great thing. And what I think we could learn from in cybersecurity about it as well is that yes and principle is, yeah, when people come up to you in the business and say, we want to do something, instead of just saying, no, we can't, Yes, and maybe we can look at it from this security angle would be a really useful thing to do. So that is my pick of the week. Uh, learn improv if you can, and if you can, learn it at Laugh at Leeds. Sounds like you are a perfect candidate for sticky pickles, just saying. <laughs> you can think mm. on your feet. That's yes, what we need. And, uh, I was told some years ago I should go and do an improv course because it would help with my public speaking. So I did go on one. And um, mm -hmm. at the end, they were going around to everyone and saying, you know, you were really good at this, you were good at And they said, and you, they said, point to me, you're really good at bullshitting, they said. You're really good at just... <laughs> well, obviously not if they spotted it. <laughs> you know, that's not how bullshit works. <laughs> Touché. <laughs> Carol, what's your pick of the week? Um, as I warned you, I have a gruesome recommendation oh. for my pick of the week. Lovely. I wanted something extremely anti-Valentine's-y, right? right? To counterpoint my story that I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. So this is a TV series, not a new one. I think it came out, first aired in 2017, called Mr. Mercedes. It's based on a famous trilogy by a horror god, Stephen King. Right. Now, as a kid, I read a lot of Stephen King. I really mm, liked Me too. Book. Yeah, right? I just loved it. Anyway, so this book, Mr. Mercedes, is what King calls his first hard-boiled detective story. Ooh. So you have this, like, retired detective, Bill Hodges, played by Brendan Gleeson, who is uh, haunted by his old unsolved case, Mr. Mercedes. And this is where a nut job stole a Mercedes and drove it through a line of job seekers at a local jobs fair, okay, killing 16 people. Oh. Horrible, right? Cheery crow, yes, like you said. Right. I know. I told you. Not cheery. I warned you. Um, and the guy driving the Mercedes uh, and who killed all those people was never caught. Uh, and we have a retired detective who, you know, is curious about tying loose ends up and starts asking questions, giving this Mr. Mercedes a brand new uh, person to toy with. And the game goes pretty dark pretty quickly. I, well, I cannot underline enough how dark this is. 
I uh, could not watch scenes at all. I even had <laughs> my husband and I last night, we were watching the last episode, literally where I was humming. He was reading the text to himself. He wasn't telling me and I was wow. humming and my eyes were shut and my fingers were in my ears because I just, the scene was just too disturbing. But the best thing for me is the soundtrack. Oh. It's so good. So your detective has a moody blues soundtrack that's always playing some old country, really gorgeous stuff, like curated so well. And your psychopath is more into like the alternative indie rock with punkish overtones stuff from the 90s. And both of them, great tunes. I loved it, loved it, loved it. So if you like that kind of music, you want something super dark and non-romantic at all, my pick of the week, Mr. Mercedes, currently streaming on Disney. Now, is there an actual resolution to this? If, if I'm going to invest into this series? Well, is is okay. Oh, I just found out doing research for this that actually the series I, I watched, which I thought was a one-off, is actually one of three. Oh. Series, But the first series is sort of encapsulated. The first one ended well, yes. Okay. Okay, well, that's good then. All right. So I have no idea where it goes from now, but uh, oh. yeah, there you go. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Carol. Very cheery. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that just about <laughs> wraps up the show for this week. Leanne, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and find out what you're up to. What is the best way for folks to do that? So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm the one with the really humble uh, headline banner. Uh, you can find me under Leanne Potter. And you can also listen to me every Thursday on my podcast, Compromising Positions. Um, we accept listeners from anyone outside of Denmark as well. <laughs> And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter and Mouse have a G. And Smash Insecurity is also on Mastodon. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Overcast. And big fat thank yous to our episode sponsors, Collide and Fanta. And of course to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest list and the entire back catalogue. More than 357 episodes check out smashingsecurity.com until next time cheerio bye 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 thank you leanne no worries <laughs> thank you leanne how was it Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much. I was so incredibly nervous to start with, but thank you. Oh, you didn't sound nervous at all. So that's cool. Uh, that, that's the improv in it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>